Buenos días. Good morning. I'm thrilled to be here. I want to thank Pastor Steve, Pastor Bo, and all the staff for having me. And I bring you a big gracias. Thank you for um, your sister church in Mexico City. Uh, we're thrilled to see what God is doing through this partnership. We're really excited to have you along as, as partners in ministry. Let me just really quick uh, tell you what is going on in Mexico City. We planted a church in 2013, Familia de Vida, uh, sending 80 people out of the church to be church where there was no church. And they are now ready to plant another church, getting a team together to do that either this year or next year. And then we planted a church in the state of Tlaxcala, Senda de Via Tlaxcala. And Tlaxcala, it's the number one state in the country that has a problem with human trafficking. And they are praying and trying to go hard on do ministry among the people in Tlaxcala. That's Senda de Via Tlaxcala Church. Then in 2018, we planted the church Verdad para las Naciones, Truth for the Nations, in Mexico City, trying to reach college professors and professionals, businessmen. They are doing a great job also. And um, you may be aware of Jose and Ailed and his family. Uh, they were sent out from our church to Jalisco State to plant a church in the second largest pilgrimage shrine in the country. And they are doing well. They have their third couple now, become saved, uh, knowing Jesus and doing through, going through a discipleship process. And then you heard uh, of La Fortaleza, the fortress last year. This is a church that was planted inside the National Military Academy, which is a first in the whole nation because of laws that's, that's illegal, so we shouldn't be doing that. But they, they planted the church inside, you know, the, the National Military Academy. They are growing. They are having a, a great, great ministry. And I have more good news for you because um, uh, this very Sunday, maybe at this time, the, a new church plant that uh, are, is celebrating their first anniversary of being planted. We did that in, on February 2019 of, uh, with a couple that came to church. Uh, they are Abraham and Mercedes. And uh, they were moved by God to become the leaders of this new church plant. We as a church, we were not ready, but they were ready. So we prayed for them and sent them. And they are doing a great job. They uh, are um, having meetings with around 70 people after the first year, which is really awesome. We're, we're really excited for what God is doing there through Bethel Church. And you guys have been instrumental on seeing this happening in Mexico City. So I want to thank you, gracias, for your prayers and your support and your partnership, because through all uh, everything that God is doing, we have all those partnerships going on in Senda de Vida doing uh, outreach ministry, from hospital visitation to working with immigrants, church planting, translations of scripture. And then at the bottom, we have the cross-cultural ministries in which we have partnership in several countries. So thank you. Thank you for being part of that. We praise God for what he's doing. And I'm convinced that won't be possible if we didn't see the churches as, as one as one body. So be aware that your church in Mexico City, city is doing well. They're growing. And I believe this is um, 
because we have begun to learn what it means to have a transfiguration perspective and to live by that perspective. And let me try to explain what I mean by that or with that. You have here the passage which has heard in Matthew chapter 17, in which we see Jesus uh, getting Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain and then before their eyes transfigure him, himself. The verse uh, uh, three says, just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So what I mean when I'm trying to explain or get the idea of having a transfiguration perspective is this fact that because of this event and everything related to Jesus' life, the, the life of the disciples was impacted in, in such a deep way that they were never the same. It's interesting to try to think on the epiphany, uh, starting with Jesus' baptism, and we hear God's voice, and then the end of epiphany, we have Jesus' transfiguration, and we hear God's voice of his voice again in the, in the, in, in the gospel stories. But what happened here is that this event, along with all Jesus' life, impacted their lives so much and so deeply that their whole perspective on life and on everything was completely transformed. What I have come to learn through the years is that um, in this case, the disciples' lives was never the same, but I find myself sometimes having this struggle to bring the perspective of the transfiguration into my everyday life. So let's see their testimony, how they refer to this event later on in their lives. So for example, J James' testimony is not that open. He doesn't speak directly on that day, what happened in the mountain. But it's interesting to see that when he is referring to Jesus in James chapter 2, he says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism, but he calls Jesus glorious. I'm sure he has in mind that event. Uh, John is a little bit more explicit when he writes in his gospel. We see that he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in verse 14, we, we, I just love this passage. The word, that same word from chapter, verse one, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
I'm sure he's doing a reference, not just of, of the truth of the God of the universe being there as the word in the beginning, but becoming flesh and the fact that he saw his glory. And then again, in Revelation, you see the similarities between the vision in Revelation and what he experienced in the mountain. In his right hand, when he's describing Jesus, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet and as thou dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So we have three witnesses of this glorious event. And let's see what Peter says. Again, reference, he's referring to this same event. And he's, he writes, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So what is amazing to me is that this event of the transfiguration that these three witnesses are talking about, it's the fact that it didn't stay in the mountain. Somehow what happened there changed their lives so deeply that they continue to talk about that historical event and their whole perspective of life was changed, was transformed. It's difficult to me sometimes because I tend to leave the transfiguration experience, you know, boxed somewhere else and I sometimes fail miserably to bring that experience into reality. So what we're suggesting is how will it be to live with a transfiguration perspective? What I mean by that is the reality that the fact that the very fabric of their worldview of these guys was shocked because even though they were Jews and believing God, they believe in prayer, in angels, and they even were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were having this struggle to try to understand who really this rabbi is. Peter himself declared in a chapter before that you are the son, the Christ, the son of the living God. But even then, we have the transfiguration. So they had a chance of see Jesus for who he truly is, who he really is. So with a transfiguration perspective, what I mean by this is that they began to see the world in a whole different perspective in which the absolute holy God, the creator of the universe, the God of Genesis 1, entered this world in the person of Jesus Christ, a carpenter of Galilee. And for the first time since they have known this carpenter, they are realizing that this guy is the God of the universe. 
before them. They, are, they have been walking with him. So the truth that this rabbi Jesus, this man with wise sayings and the power to make miracles, it's not just a prophet. He's not just a lawgiver. He's above them all. This guy that walked the earth is actually the eternal creator of the universe. We can find uh, similarities between this event and the event in another mountain in which Moses received the law. So this was an event that rocked the world because God himself entered our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And they are talking and saying, hey, you, you know, guys, we touch him. We saw him with our own eyes. We heard the voice from heaven and we somehow survived and are telling you this because it was God himself. So today there's people that believe this to be a historical event. Some people don't. But from, for those of us that believe this was a historical event, it becomes then the main point the fact that the disciples were impacted so deeply by this historical event that they acquired a transfiguration perspective. But what I mean by this is the fact that uh, uh, we begin to see life in the light of this glory that was shown to them during this event. And I would propose to you that there are several aspects of our lives of reality that will be shaped if we truly understand and believe and, and live with a transfiguration perspective that the God of the universe, the God of Genesis 1, the creator of everything, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. When we merge those two together and we have, begin to have a, a, a transfiguration perspective, I'm sure the first thing that will begin to shift and shape will be our perspective on God, on Jesus himself. Because you see, the disciples became um, aware of who Jesus really is at the transfiguration. They have known him as a human. They have been walking with him, but they understood there was something else to this rabbi. But for the first time, the very glory of God shone before them. So he is showing them who he really is. He's showing them that he's higher than Moses. He's higher than Elijah. And the father himself, by speaking with a loud voice, testifies that this, this guy is, is his beloved son. So what we're seeing here is that we are seeing this perfect perspective of knowing who Jesus is, in one sense, he's fully human, and in the same sense, he's fully divine. He is not 50% human and 50% divine, but 100% human and 100% divine in the same person. And the disciples are becoming aware of the fact that this guy that they have touched they have walked with, the, the guy that breathes, has a beard, that, you know, sweats, bleeds, is the eternal God of the universe in flesh coming to this earth. So that reality shifted the way they see God, that they see Jesus. This transfiguration helped them realize how God is entering our universe. 
So the implications of this is we have this view of, of life will immediately impact our worship. Because you see, I tend to either move to one side or the other. Sometimes we see Jesus in so a uh, humane way. He's so human that we strip him of his glory. And sometimes we see Jesus so glorious that we strip him of his humanity. But here we have the, the merging of the two together that will help us understand how to better worship him. And I propose to you that this will also change the way we pray. If we tend to see Jesus only in his glorious days, we are aware of his power. But sometimes we lack an understanding of how he understands my struggle as a human. But if we understand Jesus as fully humane and fu fully human and fully divine, we won't have a problem understanding how he loves me and how he understands what I'm going through. If I miss that perspective, I either go to one side and overemphasize one or the other. It will also impact our obedience because if Jesus is God himself, then when he, what he says to you, what he commands to you, is not a suggestion. It's not an invitation. It's a command. Love your neighbor. That's a commandment. And if he is God in the flesh, whatever he says, it's, it's, it's law. It's the word. You know? So I, I, I will really invite you to think in this idea because this is a transfiguration perspective. God himself coming to earth in the flesh. But I have found that many times there are religious perspectives that hide the true nature of who Jesus really is. Either an unapproachable God or a powerless God. And we need to be aware of the transfiguration to have these two truths together. And I even will invite you to to think on the fact that that transfiguration perspective will have a direct impact in the way we see reality. The nature of reality is not just the perspective of the materialist or the atheist. You see, in the Bible, we constantly are reminded of these two natures. Uh, let's read 1 John chapter 1, which is in the screens. And, um, John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. You see the material nature here, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. You see this material reality he's speaking about, and then see how John is really aware of the other reality, which is, is, is the same. These we proclaim concerning the word of life. What's, what's what we proclaim? The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen at what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So what we are seeing here is essentially that the heavens came to earth. And to live with a transfiguration perspective is to be conscious of the fact that we live in a world with a material reality 
and a spiritual one that have been merged through Jesus in the reality we live. And in that reality, God is always present. And we need to merge these two realities together. A transfiguration perspective can even take us all the way to understand the full spectrum and of the nature of reality. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. This is really interesting philosophically and theologically how we have these two realities together. It's not either or, it's both. And he writes, speaking of Jesus, he says, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right of the hand throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by men. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he will not be a priest, for there are already men who offered the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary, listen to this, that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. But sometimes we have, a, we have trouble, right? Make, seeing that as a reality because we cannot touch that reality yet. So you see, the author of Hebrews is helping us understand that in Jesus, these two realities have been merged together. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown, shown you in the mountain. So we as Christians believe in the miraculous. We believe in the spiritual and the supernatural. We believe in the spiritual nature of the world, of the world, right? And that there is a transcendent reality beyond what we see and touch here. But... A transfiguration perspective will help us bring that reality here. Not leave that reality outside of this world. A transfiguration perspective will help us understand those two realities. So I will ask you, in which ways your culture uh, here in the U.S. helps people understand those two realities? For example, I have here a picture of what you, a chaman. This is a, a sorcerer, a chaman from the Aztec culture. You will find him in the central plaza of Mexico City. You have the cathedral, you have the office of the government, and you have these guys offering people to be cleansed by rituals. You can see in the, in the, uh, at the back of the picture, someone receiving that. So, you know what they are doing? They're reminding people of the spiritual reality, even though it, has, it, it lacks truth. But somehow they're reminding them of the reality that it, not, not everything is material. There's a spiritual reality there. So the question is, we as believers, how a perspective of the transfiguration can help us in our daily living to merge those two realities? Again, the author of Hebrews says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeat endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The Apostle Paul in Colossians, listen to this. These are a shadow, talking about religious practices. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, 
is found in Christ, who merges the two together. So let me ask you a question to see how we are doing in terms of the transfiguration perspective. If you will have any kind of problem in your neighborhood, in your community, in Grand County, or in your state, or in your country, the US, what will be your suggestion to fix that problem? What really can bring a change into the life of people, families, communities? If, for example, we talk about poverty or we talk about immigration, what, what would you suggest it will actually bring a change where we live? What I have found interesting is that we reveal the perspective of our life by how we answer this question. So how will you say the change will bring, be brought to your communities? Is that coming to politics or is that change actually coming to prayer? A transfiguration perspective can help us understand that we need both in a sense, but it's essentially the idea that biblical perspective, a transfiguration perspective, it will shape the way we see everything. So are we living in a way according to our born-again nature? If, for example, our political perspective trumps the biblical perspective of the world? Sorry for the Trump word. <laughs> I look it up and it means, yeah. So the interesting thing here is that I have found myself sometimes being too hard on the political perspective because I lose perspective of the transfiguration in which the reality we live in is composed of both truths and realities. But sometimes this trumps the other. So a transfiguration perspective will help us even change the way we see reality and understand that behind a lot of the, our social issues, there's a spiritual root under that. It's not a, a political one or a social one only. It has a, a, a spiritual root below that that we can explore and shine light on that. I also propose to you that if we have a transfiguration perspective, it would immediately impact the way we see ourselves and other people. First, ourselves, because I believe the only way we can actually understand who we truly are is if we have a clear view and understanding of who Jesus is. Because I tend to either go to one side and I think, I, you know, I become prideful. I, I, I become full of arrogance. Why I dare to do that? Because I don't have a clear view of who God is. You see, the disciples, when they saw Jesus, they were, you know, standing be beside him before that. They went up the mountain with him. But as soon as he began to shine his face and they began to hear God's voice, what they did? They fell face to the ground. They, were, they, were, they didn't dare to lift their faces. So I find that whenever I tend to go to this side and be prideful, it's because I lose sight of who Jesus really is. He's the Son of God, the creator of Genesis 1. And I get to be prideful because I lose sight of who he is. And then on the other side, there are some days in which I don't feel too good and I tend to, you know, uh, 
despise myself, feel uh, unworthy, lonely, that I don't have value. Why I do that? Because I lose sight of the fact that the God of the universe loved me so much that he came in the flesh to die in the cross so I can be saved. So a transfiguration perfect, a perspective with won't allow me, allow me to be prideful, to be arrogant, and won't either allow me to go and, and, and devalue what God has created, the way that he has loved me. And I'm sure you're aware that if that happens with you, with the way, with the way you think of yourself, it will shape, shape the way you think of others. Do you think then that if you have a transfiguration perspective, perspective, will you be willing to acknowledge God's image in every person? Every person, regards their language or their thick accent, like me, sorry for that. <laughs> every person. So it will shape, definitely shape the way we see other people. And one of the really important things that will happen is that it will show, when we have a clear understanding of who he is, it will show our inadequacy. The disciples were before the glory of God, and all Peter could come up with saying was, uh, oh, it's good for me to be here because then we can build some shelter for you. You know, how inadequate we are to handle and manipulate that spiritual reality. We do have control for some of the material things, but the spiritual reality, we cannot like, control it, unbox it, because we, we like, you know, to, uh, in our Western mentality, we like to fragment reality and, and get it in boxes, you know, and uh, even try to schematize and categorize and organize and schedule God's presence in this world. We, we like to do that. Even in Mexico, I will suggest to you that what's happening with a lot of the uh, evangelical churches is that we're starting to grab, uh, to try to grab God's presence and focus that presence in one building during one time of the week through one man. And it's being focused so much that the sacrality of life is being emptied of God's presence because we have hidden God inside the temple during a Sunday through a preacher, even if it's deaf enough, but you know what I mean. We tend to do that in Latin America. I don't know what will be the case here, but how do you see yourself? How do you see other people? And how do you see different people that will cause something of a chip? And let me just end with this reality. What about uh, the fact that I have not had a, a mountaintop experience? I have never went to the mountain, mountain. I haven't seen Jesus' glory like the disciples did. If you had a time like that, you know what I'm talking about. It's beautiful. But the good news is that you can get a transfiguration perspective without a transfiguration experience. What I mean by that is if we realize that God is continually present in this reality, in this world, then we will be open to the ways we, which he, have, he has chosen to be present. The main one is his Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 14? If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, 
The world cannot, cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you'll also live. The same in John chapter 16. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the idea of the transfiguration perspective is the reality that even though Jesus shone his light on the mountain, he came down the mountain, went to the cross, was buried, he rose again from the dead, went to the Father, and sent back his Holy Spirit to his church. So trans the transfiguration, let me say it this way, was not over. It's a continual presence of God through his spirit in this reality. In the reality we all live every day. His presence is also through his word. Peter, when he's speaking about that event, listen to what he says. He's speaking about we heard his voice, we saw his glory. I will invite you to give your attention to verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in the dark place until the dark dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter is saying that you're not in a disadvantage because you were not in the mountaintop. You have the Holy Spirit and you have his word present in this reality to remind us. And this, for me, in my opinion, it was, it's one of the most beautiful ideas that we can take out of the transfiguration perspective. is the fact that God himself was present in this world through his son Jesus. He went to the cross, raised again, and then he's, he sent back his Holy Spirit to this earth through his church, through his people. But what I mean by that, I don't mean programs, buildings, or even just church services. They are great and we need to shine light and create those sacred moments. But the point of the transfiguration is that after that, Jesus shown his glory, they went down the mountain and continue. It is not an experience that is isolated from everything else. He showed his glory, who he really is, but the point is he went down the mountain to the, to the cross to rise again and sent his Holy Spirit to his people, through his church. So the idea here is that if we want to know who Jesus really is, if we want to hear God's voice and feel his touch reaching us saying, get up, don't be afraid. If we want to do that, where we should go? To the mountaintop? I understand in Indiana, you don't have an option to go to a mountaintop, <laughs> right? So where, where are we going? We, where will you say or tell to your, your neighbor, hey, you want to really know who Jesus is? You really want to hear his voice and feel his touch? Where would you take him, take her? The transfiguration perspective helps us realize that it's his people, people 
wherever you are, in workshops, in jobs, driving, walking, exercising, his presence is fully there. So if we do this, we will realize that in our daily lives, we have more sacred mom moments that, than, than that we want to recognize sometimes. No? It's, it's really interesting. So the powerful presence of Jesus, God's voice, and his touch. Where will people around you will get to have the opportunity to experience this? So what I mean by this, it's for those of us that like theology and all that, this is essentially the idea. It's incarnational theology that is not limited to Jesus' life, but continued by the Holy Spirit through his church. But his church is you and me here today at jobs, schools, marketplace, businesses. Jesus wants to show his powerful presence, have his voice heard and his touch felt through you and me where we are. We don't need to take them to a mountaintop because his church is here. You are there. That's what a transfiguration perspective will do for us. Let me just finish really quick telling you a little bit of this, what you're seeing here. What you're seeing here is, uh, this is Virgen of Guadalupe. It's uh, uh, worship by millions, of, by millions of people. And every year, 11 million people go to Mexico City to Virgen de Guadalupe Shrine to pay respects, to pay a debt, to pay a promise, to make a promise. And sometimes people walk for days hundreds and hundreds of miles walking or going in bicycle to pay respects to Virgen de Guadalupe. What we are doing here, as you see, is we set up a team of people from the church through the route there they need to walk to the streets, really close to church actually. And we set up a group of people from church with water, with medication, with coffee, some bread, and what we do is we wash their feet. We tend to their injuries. We sometimes give massage to the muscles that have, are tired for walking so much. Why are we doing that? Because even they are spiritual, they don't know who Jesus really is. They, they haven't got a, a total grasp of truth. So we wish through this that they can know who Jesus really is, that they can hear his voice and feel his touch. It takes time. Sometimes there are people that have gone back and there's people that uh, are willing to continue. But that's our prayer, that we can be Jesus' presence where we are. If we have a transfiguration perspective, if we see the God of the universe coming into this reality, in this world, and entering a reality, we can go and leave that same perspective where we are right now. I will invite you to consider these ideas, and I will invite you to pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful love and how you show your presence through your Son, Jesus Christ, on that mountain. And we thank you because we understand we need, we would like to be in that mountain, but Thank you because you sent your Holy Spirit that will be within us forever. You give, gave us your word and you give, gave the world your church. And I thank you for 
the possibilities and the probabilities that you open every time, the opportunities that you show us every time, how your kingdom is present everywhere we go. Help us realize that this perspective is going to change completely the way we see people. We serve you. We praise you. We, we pray to you. You will change our lives like you did with the disciples. Help us be your answer to the needs of this world. In Jesus' name.